sometimes. The best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 254. College golf's postseason is underway. The top programs in the country are, are gearing up for their respective runs at a national championship in the desert. Many conference championships are currently underway. Some have already concluded. Special congrats to Kennedy Pentago from SMU. She won the American Athletic Conference Individual Championship. And then the men from SMU pulled off a clean sweep down in Brooksville, Florida. I was there. The men took the team title and Nathan Petranzio captured the individual title for his first career collegiate win. No real surprise with Vanderbilt. They have gone back-to-back and won the SEC championship. Those guys just might be the hottest team in college golf. In one of the final tune-ups of the regular season, Oklahoma went out to the desert and won the Thunderbird Collegiate on Arizona State's home track. Texas went back-to-back by winning the Western Intercollegiate, And with Oklahoma State currently on form as well, the Big 12 Conference Championship is going to be incredibly competitive as always. The win for Oklahoma in the desert was their fifth of the season, tying a Sooner record. You know who else just won their fifth tournament of the season? Kansas. Yes, the Jayhawks just picked up another win at the Hawkeye Invitational, and their senior star, Harry Hillier, picked up the individual win. That's his second in his career. Joining me on this episode is another member of the Jayhawk squad, Luke Kluver. Luke is a native of Norfolk, Nebraska, and we spoke about his transition to Lawrence, Kansas, and his time as a Jayhawk. Luke has competed on the Corn Ferry Tour, so he was able to provide some valuable insight from the perspective of a college golfer that has dipped a toe into the professional ranks already. Our conversation was recorded a while back, so we didn't obviously talk about their most recent win, But remember, KU reeled off four wins in the fall, and with this most recent win coming so close to the postseason, as I said, it'll be interesting to see how they fare in the Big 12 championship, and especially interesting to see how many of these Big 12 teams are able to advance through regionals and then reconvene at Greyhawk for the national championship. As always, make sure that you're following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. There is new merch available at thebackoftherange.com. And also, I want to thank everyone again who is involved in the Magnolia Memory Series, three-part series, over three hours of content, over 17 guests in total were gracious enough with their time from Jensen Castle to Amelia Miliacho to Anna Davis to Anna's father to Brenda Keene, Rachel Keene. Just there's so many great people involved with this, so many different perspectives Uh, It was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Definitely something I'll be doing more of in the future. So make sure you go check that out again. Go to thebackoftherange.com, and that's where you can find all the previous episodes. Let's get started. Luke, welcome to the Back of the Range, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Ben. Super excited to do this with you. I know we've been looking forward to a date, and uh, glad we can finally make it work well you know that's what spring breaks are for we find some time to chat i'm glad we're able to get this done as well as as many people know the, that are listeners to the back of the range i went to the university of kansas so this is going to be a fun one you are 
as I said, uh, spring break, um, it doesn't sound like you're in Cancun or uh, it, and you're not here in South Florida, d- downtown Miami. I mean, how are, how does Luke Kluver go crazy as a college kid during spring break? When you live in Norfolk, Nebraska, and you're a regular college student, um, well, I guess kind of regular college student, um, I guess you just go home and go to the horse races and spend time with family when you get a few days off. But no, I've been, there's always good. It's always good to have a little bit of a break and, um, I don't know, no better place to go than home. And I guess my sister's birthday is on Tuesday, so I'm going to get some brownie points for that as See? well. There you go. That's a smart play. That's a, that's a veteran, that's a veteran sibling move right there. Well, you, well, I, I guess you really do need a break because, you know, I've been looking at the KU men's golf schedule and obviously what you play in the summer. Um, I, I'm guessing not only now is a nice break, but you're probably needing to break right around the end of the fall season, weren't you? Yeah, we uh, we played a bunch in the fall, and then you you touched base on the summer schedule that I play in um, at Kansas. You know, that's kind of our um, our reasoning for that is we have nicer weather in the fall, um, and we want to get as many events and best practice we can get in um, during that time. Um, obviously, in the spring season, it's going to be a lot colder, and the winter months are going to be a lot colder. Um, so we try and uh, front load our fall season and just, you know, try to get off to a great start, which we did. Um, so I guess it worked out this year for sure. Oh oh, yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about the fall, uh, about your fall season at KU. I I would have to say without, I mean, it really is kind of record setting what you guys did in the fall. Um, we are talking actually to give just kind of a, some, you know, a backstory. We're talking on the, the Sunday evening of the players championship, uh, normally we could probably talk about the winner. Um, we haven't figured that out yet because the weather has been the story of this championship. And um, I've actually been trying to watch it. And, and sometimes it's hard to determine what round they're actually playing, but I think they're back on track and we should see a champion by, by, uh, by Monday night, cold temperatures, crazy wind. Um, yeah. Uh, that's really nothing new, but, but that being said, you know, we've seen all these PJ tour pros bundling up with beanies and vests and multiple layers and hand warmers. And the first thing I thought of was the Jones cup. And I've covered the last two, seen you at the last two. We've both dealt, dealt with it. Um, let's get a fun story. Is Jones cup the worst weather you have ever played golf in, or is there some other, as you said, you're from Norfolk, Nebraska, there's got to be a story of just like, why, why am I out here? What am I doing? Yeah. I mean, the Jones cup is obviously a, you know, everyone knows going to the Jones cup. If we get, you know, one or two lucky days, weather wise, it's, it's totally lucky. Um, I've enjoyed going to that tournament. Um, two times I've played it. Um, the main reason why I go play the Jones cup is, like you said, I'm from Norfolk, Nebraska. The weather is awful during the winter. Um, I shut it down from November to February or early March if I was at home. Um, so luckily in Kansas, I'm able to get a little bit quicker start to that. Um, but I've played in definitely worse weather. Um, I mean, I'm 45 minutes from South Dakota, um, spring golf in Nebraska, uh, back in the high school days. Um, if we looked at the weather and we saw that the wind was going to be under 15 miles per hour, we knew that 
that day was going to be golfable, no matter what the degrees were or what the temperature was. Wow. Um, and I can tell you going to Kansas and playing in the nice weather that we get to play in uh, throughout the college season, um, I've gotten a lot softer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy that, you you know, playing in the Midwest in Kansas – when the weather gets very cold and the wind kicks up, you're saying that that's nothing compared to what you've dealt with at home in Nebraska. Um, yeah. I mean, the more, I mean, the moral there is that I think it's just mind blowing um, that I'm three years older um, than I was in high school. And I became that much softer um, from just playing in the nice weather and, um, traveling with the team and going up to all the great places we've been yeah exactly wow um yeah i i thought i mean i'm not hitting any shots out there but i'm but i'm out there you know taking shots uh with my camera and and i don't know i kind of think it's a badge of honor to go to the jones cup i mean you got to be able to walk in there deal with it and walk out and and um yeah i i enjoy it too and then we i guess we can't we're talking about bad weather uh, we have to talk about what the hell happened out at Palm Springs. I think you're the first guest that I've had on the podcast uh, since the prestige. And I, I, look, I'm a Floridian. We get hurricanes, but I have no ex experience seeing play halted due to excessive winds and sandstorms. Um, have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, where were you on the golf course? I know there was some video that UC Davis put out. And I have pictures of Barclay Brown from Stanford hitting a bunker shot to a flag stick that's at a 45-degree angle. Where were you on the golf course when the worst of it hit you? Well, um, you know, golf is obviously, you know, outdoors and the weather is going to change. And uh, this tournament specifically, we actually caught the right side of the draw. Oh, how dare um, you. And, you know, same thing with the players that's going on right now. Um, there's guys that teed it up on Thursday and then just started their second rounds today. Um, and that's just kind of how golf works sometimes. You get the, the right side of the draw. Um, and luckily, we, um, my team and I, we were able to get the lucky side of the draw there. Um, so we did not play that morning. Um, we did go back out. Well, we went out in the afternoon. And, I mean, it was still windy um obviously but we did not get the 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 major dust storm um and then when we were out there we had about five or six holes left when they did bring us in um because of the dust storms so we did catch one but um by the sounds of it and obviously the social media posts that you made um the the morning wave um during the second round was brutal conditions and um, yeah, we just got lucky with that one. So, well, I'm glad someone did. Cause, uh, it was, uh, it was brutal. And what I saw out there and it was, I saw guys hiding under golf carts and it was, uh, it was a little crazy. Um, so you're in Nebraska. Now, every time I visit Lawrence for Christmas to see my family, and this is now two years, I'm throwing you under the bus right now. This is two years in a row. I've done this. I go to Kansas. I'm like, hey, I wonder if Kluver's here. Let me reach out because I know you want to hang out. Um, but, you know, I don't take it personally when you tell me, yeah, I'm not in town. I've, I've gone home to see my family in Norfolk. So I, I don't I don't take that personally. But um, I, I'm not much of a duck hunter. I know that that is kind of your thing. 
what? How do you spend the holidays in Norfolk? We'll talk about how you got into golf, but kind of paint the picture. What do, What do the holidays look like in Norfolk, Nebraska, for you? Um, both of my grandparents, uh, mom and dad's side, they're both um, still living, and they both travel a bunch to watch us golf. Um, and so, we still have Christmases both at their place, and we have cousins that come back from Kansas and Omaha. So we do a lot of family time. Um, but once the holidays are over, uh, you, you touched it. Um, my dad and I and my brother, we do a lot of waterfowl hunting, uh, which is ducks and geese, obviously. And, um, no, it's a blast. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it truly is. I mean, it's a, it, it's a lot, you know, deer hunting or turkey hunting, you kind of sit around and you wait, right. wait for the, the deer and the, the birds to come. Um, duck hunting it's just it just seems like a way more of a sport to me um you know you have a decoy spread um that you can change and kind of make make it creative um you know the birds are gonna fly over and you're gonna call at them um and so we all call at them and it's just a different experience um my dad's getting older where he now is making sure the blinds are full of heat and able to cook food in there. And, um, it's, it's, you know, the GQ of duck hunting is the way I would put it. I mean, it's, um, not a whole lot of work, but it's going to be comfortable for my dad and going to be comfortable for us. There you um, go. So we're, we definitely stay warm and, um, have a blast while we're doing it. That's nice. Well, it's good to have a family tradition and, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit outside my area of expertise, but hey, uh, different strokes for different folks. Now, you grew up in this sports-oriented household. I know there is just tons of family tradition when it comes to sports, whether it's on your mom's side of the family, your dad's side of the family, and um, you know, I know that you you grew up playing all of them—you know, basketball and football and lots of team sports—and I know you enjoy the team environment, but golf is an individual sport. You know, you can't pass the ball to somebody else and you know you can't blame someone when you miss the shot so the successes and the failures are all on you do you remember when you decided to really kind of sink your teeth into golf was it just because you saw the biggest upside or was there something about the nature of an individual sport that really that really spoke to you um, yeah, I do remember uh, we made so we lived in central Nebraska it was a small uh, bigger than Norfolk, but it was a town called Grand Island. Um, and it's kind of funny how when you make a move to a different city, um, it seems like there's different hobbies or different, um, the people in that town support, uh, you know, different sports. So in Grand Island, it was a lot of baseball and a lot of football. And those two sports were the two main sports that I played and loved them uh played them all summer long both of them played basketball in the winter as well um and made time for golf um within the baseball schedule and then when we moved to norfolk i was a seventh grader and uh the baseball program wasn't nearly as advanced as the program in grand island um so i played one year in norfolk and then it kind of opened the opportunity um to play more golf and i was kind of I was very mature at a, at a younger age and um, especially towards compared to my peers and between that seventh and eighth and ninth grade year, um, 
had a fairly big growth spurt and golf just kind of took off during those three years. Um, and then, um, just played with a bunch of older guys in Norfolk and they kicked my butt and, <laughs> and it was fun, uh, to see really good golf like they played. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how it took off. So you had great success as in, you know, obviously in high school in Nebraska and you know, obviously it comes to that time where you got to figure out where you're going to go to school. Now I know that there was a time where you were going to go to Nebraska and, uh, you know, things changed. You uh, ended up kind of opening up your eyes to other opportunities and found yourself, uh, you know, committing to Kansas. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with the campus, very familiar with the, with the area. Um, obviously, Coach Bermel, you know, Coach Jamie Bermel, who, who recruited you and is still your, your coach at KU, you know, he had a big hand in getting you to Lawrence. But, um, you know, it can't just be about the coach. It has to be about this, the team environment, the campus, everything that goes with it. Do you remember what you liked so much about Lawrence? and about the University of Kansas that uh, that drew you even closer to committing and eventually going there? Yeah, um, my recruiting um, process was, you know, pretty interesting. Um, like you mentioned, I committed to Nebraska and then um, decommitted and kind of opened it back up. When you live in Nebraska, um, the junior golf, you know, you have your state stuff, and then um, the junior level just isn't, we don't get AJGAs in the area. Um, and I still loved basketball. So I still played summer basketball all the way through high school, pretty much. Um, and basketball in Lawrence, obviously, um, is, is a huge deal. And, um, that was a main draw, uh, to be able to go play golf for the university of Kansas and then, uh, go into Allen Fieldhouse and watch every home game, um, was very appealing and um, wasn't really honestly a huge Kansas basketball fan before I went to school. Um, and I went to one game or a couple games and was able to start rooting for him for sure. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a blast to be able to do that. Now I know that tickets are hard to come by and obviously being on the team, you get access to things like that. You're not, you're not camping out for two days to try and get tickets. Um, I'm guessing your friends in, uh, around campus that are not uh, in the athletic de- athletic program, uh, you're a pretty popular guy when it comes to comes to KU basketball season. Yeah, I've I've tried to give them up before, and um, I mean those people that do wait out and wait wait for tickets and wait for the seats that they want. Um, it's pretty incredible. Uh, we had Kentucky come to Lawrence this year. Um, right after the holiday and college game day was there. Yeah. And I think like three or four days prior, they already started camping out. Um, and what they would do is just have a rotation system. So uh, they would send a person for, you know, let's say eight hours and then the next would come and they would just wait in line. And then when Saturday came, they were able to get in there and get the seats they wanted and, uh, the atmosphere for that game was pretty awesome, but have not given up. I've not given up very many seats to a game yet. Um, I enjoy going to, I enjoy going to every single one. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's funny. You're talking about just the junior program in Nebraska and you are not the first Jayhawk, uh, not the first Jayhawk player 
to be on the podcast. Uh, Ryan Vermeer was a guest on the back of the range. You guys share a lot of similarities, uh, obviously Eastern Nebraska as well. And um, you guys were paired together in uh, in a couple Corn Ferry Tour events, the, the Pinnacle Championship. Was he, did you have a relationship with him when you were in uh, a junior golfer? Did he t- kind of point you in the direction of Kansas? I've obviously known Ryan and Ryan's had an unbelievable career with, well, in college, he had a, had a great career. Um, and obviously as a, uh, I think he's a teacher, teaching pro now, but yeah. as a PGA professional, you know, he's, um, he got his six starts on the PGA tour by winning the, um, PGA national champion. He's just, he's a Nebraska legend for the Nebraska PGA is what he is. Yeah. Um, he's, I mean, he's won everything, um, but relationship, I, I don't have much of a relationship with him. Um, obviously we have s- similarities with going to KU and being from Nebraska and we played a few rounds together. Um, just, I work with a swing coach out of Omaha, Mike Cornell. Um, and so haven't really ever had the chance to see Ryan, um, but obviously think extremely high of him and pretty cool um, what he's done. And I have some records of his that I need to catch at KU. <laughs> there what I, yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, I think he's won. I think he's won seven times. If I'm my memory serves me right, I think it's somewhere in that neighborhood. I may need to look that up and at see. KU. Yeah, at KU. Yeah, I think that is correct. Yeah, I got some work to do there. Um, yeah, I think you. Where are you at? One now? I think you got one. Yep. Don't you? Yep. All right. Yep. One. Right. So by my math, that means you need six to time. Just throw that. Out there. <laughs> um, so you now you mentioned your coach. What is your? Give me your coach's name again. Mike Cornell. Okay, so you mentioned uh, your swing coach, Mike Cornell, and if I remember correctly, you just recently had a lesson with him, maybe today or, or a couple of days ago. Um, this brings up an interesting question. When you play as much as you do and you have as little break as you do to go see your coach in Nebraska, do you, how do you, how does he kind of tailor those sessions with you? Like you're obviously not incorporating a massive change. Is this kind of just a checkup? Is this something you do consistently with him, whether you're playing well or not playing well? I mean, how do you approach something like that? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So normally we just do the basic checkup okay. um, type of lessons. Um, I've been fortunate the last well, last summer I lived in Omaha and was able to play and practice um, at the course that he teaches at and this summer as well. Um, and that's nice to be able to write, be right next to him and be at a practice facility that is as great as champions and just kind of be right there when I need him. Um, and, but to answer your question, yeah, it's mainly checkups and, um, you know, the simple stuff, you know, where's the ball position and where are we lined up at? And then a few other check checkpoints we have. Um, I've been working with him for about eight years now. Um, and he's been great and got to put it, a lot of my success I've had, I got to put it all towards him. Good. So, well, we'll we'll yep. put, we'll put a link to him in the show notes of this episode, so people can uh, can find him if they're in the area and need to get their swing looked at. Do you? Is there something that you that kind of falls out of balance for you more often than something else? I mean, is it is it ball position? Is it posture? Um, 
I mean, I'm sure you guys are looking at, you know, posture and grip and stance, ball position. I mean, those are kind of the, the four really that everyone needs to focus on no matter what their swing looks like. Is there one that really kind of falls out for you? Yeah, well, last summer, uh, I think June 1st hit, and we just missed out on nationals. Um, and so we left school early and came home, and I saw him right at the beginning of June. And we had a conversation, and we just decided to switch switch the ball flight. We just I played all draws growing up, played all draws for the first two school uh, seasons, and then decided to go to a fade. Um, wow, that's a big and, change. <clears throat> Yeah, and what that did for me is um, it created the basics um, and created them, and they became a lot more um, neutral, basically. Uh, ball position stayed a lot more consistent. The alignment was a lot more consistent. Um, a tendency of mine was when I played in a bunch of wind or um, under pressure, I would move the ball position back and just really make sure that I'm hitting on the back of the ball. Yeah. Um, and I would hit it too, you know, would, I would draw the ball too much is what would happen because the ball would get moved back and I would end up too far. Right. Yeah. Um, so I made that switch, uh, last summer and played pretty much an entire summer without trying to move the ball left unless I had to. Um, and I've seen the results for the most part that I've wanted and, um, our plan of trying to keep it more consistent, um, has been, has been great for us. So, well, that's a, that's a massive change. So that'll be very interesting to kind of keep track of, of, of you and your success as you progress. Cause that's, that's taking a completely other side of the golf course out of play. And, um, yeah, I, I, I draw, I draw it and I try and try and fade as much as I can, or at least practice as much as I can, because yeah, once you hit, you start hitting too many draws, all of a sudden that's when you're, you say to your buddies, Hey, where am I aimed? And they stand behind you. are like, dude, you're, <laughs> you're aimed 20 yards, right? You're like, Oh shit. How'd that happen? Yeah. 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 So, um, well, let's talk about coach Bermel. So, you know, he shared, he was on the podcast, uh, you know, a little while back and he, I asked him like, Hey, when you're recruiting any of these guys, I mean, you, you gotta lean on the back. You just mentioned you're a basketball guy. So, um, you know, you got to lean on on the fact that you got a legend, Bill Self, over there at Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, you know, I know that uh, the Alabama, um, I know that Saban likes to drop in and talk to an Alabama recruit, and you know, a lot of these schools that are known for whether it's basketball or football, you know, they'll they'll pull that 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 trick on on the new recruits. Now he described that, um, you know, he told me the story of he went to self and said, Hey, can you come help me close the deal on this kid from Nebraska? He likes basketball. And then of course you meet Bill self and then he gets interested in your basketball abilities. I mean, it, maybe we can clear this story up. I mean, was there ever a sliver of a chance that you were going to be a practice squad player for the team? Or was this just self kind of, you know, dangling a carrot in your eyes so that you could just sign on the dotted line and be a Jayhawk? Uh, he was, I mean, the whole conversation, uh, well, there was a knock at the door and coach tells my dad to get the door. My dad stands up, gets it. And it's coach self. Right. Oh, and God, this was really staged, wasn't it? <laughs> so, so, you know, we're in coach, uh, Bermel's office and we're sitting there and, um, just having a great conversation. And, you know, then coach self brings up, uh, basketball. And I mean, 
no, there was really no chance that I was ever going to play for Kansas or be a bench player. Um, I, you know, obviously he mentioned it, you know, Hey, Hey, there's a, there's a chance, you know, uh-huh. we have spot open for basketball. And, <laughs> but I mean, I've luckily I've played at a, a high enough level in the summers, um, in basketball and even high school basketball, um, that I, I knew that there was not a chance for that, <laughs> but Hey, if there is one now, I would take it now. Though. Yeah. Well, you know, Hey, you, you got time. You're only a sophomore. You got a couple of years, maybe to figure out a way to do it. So let's talk about this fall season. I mean, this has really kind of been a coming out party for you and the team. Um, for you, four top tens in the fall, including a win, um, four team wins, actually four in a row. I think the worst the team finished in the fall was fifth. Actually, the worst finish this season for you, I think, has been fifth. And you're currently ranked 14th in Golfstad, right behind Texas. And, you know, there's you know, there's a lot of teams in the country that have, you know, hey, they may have the exact same level of talent as you guys. Maybe they're even more talented than the KU team. And, and you know, I hear it all the time from, you know, players and coaches. You know, we just need five of our guys to get hot or we just need our four, four and our five guy to contribute. We need our, you know, we need our one guy to be our one guy. I hear it all. And college golf, it you know, can be tricky at times. Can you explain how this team has man- maintained its consistency and performed at the level that it's performed so far this year? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a great question. It's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I, I think, first of all, uh, we got a transfer from, um, his name's Callum Bruce. He came from San Diego State, um, and he was a huge it was huge for us. Um, he's, he's been able to step up and he jumped right in our lineup and has pretty much counted every round of ours, um, throughout the season so far, he's placed in the top 10 numerous times. And, you know, we took advantage of the transfer portal and, um, he, he's just been a huge help, but, um, our consistency, um, obviously the four wins, it, it's almost like once we got our first win, um, we just kind of believe that, you know, w- once you get the first win, it basically just kind of opened up the floodgates for us a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we were able to just keep playing, keep playing well, keep trusting our coaches um, with what, you know, we talk about daily at practice. And um, I think it just, we just kind of believe that we were good enough to win. And um, I think that's a main reason why we've had a good start to the spring and um, kind of following up on our fall we had. Now college golf is all about, I mean, it's not just the golf you play on during tournaments and during practice. There's you know, obviously the class where you guys all have to take care of. And then, you know, especially with you guys, I mean, you, I mean, you had a lot of early fall tournaments kind of in the Midwest, whether it's, you know, um, you know, Minnesota and, 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 uh, you know, Kansas and Texas, but, um, you know, you have a lot of flights and van rides and early calls late nights. I mean, but you know, there's plenty of time to have fun and be college kids. Is there, is there a time leading into the tournament where kind of the mood changes within the team? I mean, is it, is it, you know, is there a speech that coach Bermel makes that says, okay, guys, it's time to get to work or, Hey, we're, or is it kind of an unspoken thing? Cause like I said, there's a lot of things that go into being a collegiate golfer. 
is there a time where kind of the light goes on and it's like, all right, it's time to go to work? Yeah, there totally is. Um, I'm sure you've been around um, collegiate practice rounds and every college golfer can say how slow yeah. college practice rounds are. Um, luckily, we normally go out to the course um, or go to the event a couple days earlier. That way we can get one full practice round in um, prior to the college practice round. Um, that college practice round is just, <laughs> it's, it's long. Um, the focus level is, is very, I mean, there's no focus really. Um, and so I would say once, you know, we, the night before we go to bed, we always have a meeting. I would say once that meeting hits, uh, the light switch does hit. And, um, I, I think the team just kind of knows that next day is the first round and time to get locked in so so this is uh i'm sure that these meetings happen at all at, at many programs around the country but this is probably the first time i've just i've discussed something like that with a collegiate player are those meetings more of a pep talk are they let's talk about every hole are people bringing their experiences from the practice round to this meeting can you bring the listener and myself inside one of these meetings that ku has before a tournament yeah, all three of those um, okay. happen. Um, we all bring our yardage books and we go over each hole. Um, we'll talk about, you know, some of the local rules or some of the rules that they go over uh, during the coaches meeting um, to make sure that we're all aware of those. Right. Um, and then coach will give us his his pep talk. He has uh, his glasses that have a, a magnet connector in the middle, right? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, I know what you're talking about. The, 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 yeah, the so, readers. So it's, yeah, the readers. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so he wears those around, you know, his neck all the time, and he always starts out every meeting. He'll snap the glasses together, and he'll say, "Okay, a couple things." <laughs> <laughs> and we have we have it on lock now, and like it's just so funny every time he does it. And then another famous one he does is just like, you know, when you get your ball out of position, you have to get your ball back into position. I mean, it's such, it's so basic stuff, but uh -huh. it's like, I mean, we all believe in it. And then, you know, we need all five guys playing well, you know, right? <laughs> like coach, of course we want all five guys playing well. We need but... Glover to play well and the rest of you guys to be at the clubhouse having a sandwich. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to, not going to work. Now me being a smart ass and always looking for the joke is there a way that you guys can go and get these readers yourself so that the next time you have one of these meetings right before, and he snaps his together, you pull yours out, put them on and snap them together. Or is that going to, that way he would not find that funny. Would he, he would not, that wouldn't work. No, I think he would. Oh, uh, would. That, that's a pretty funny idea actually. Right. Um, well, it was your idea. It's not mine. Cause I may need him for something down the road, like, you know, a hat or just letting me be around the team in the future. So that was not my idea that came from you. Yeah. I'll take blame for it. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Well, no, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense what he's saying, but again, I'm, I appreciate you kind of bringing us in because yeah, you see all the notes taken on the golf course, but there has to be, I'm guessing, like you said, at some point where everyone gets together and, you know, someone's going to see something on the 15th hole that maybe someone else isn't. Yeah. So we'll go over each hole before the first round and then 
once you play the first or the second round, you know, people are going to hit it in different spots and they're going to notice things that a player hasn't noticed. Um, and so after the first round, we'll have the same meeting, um, the, you know, after the round that will right. be similar things, but then, you know, let's just say, uh, Harry will speak up and just say, actually, you know, I hit it left on 15 and, uh, the pin was, you know, back left and I had a very straightforward pitch, um, you know, but if tomorrow, if the pin is front left, you know, and you hit it long left, like that's a terrible miss. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm sure other colleges have very similar, um, meetings and, um, there's always time to, there's, there's always time to add notes uh, sure. to the yardage or to the, uh, books that we get. So. Now, obviously, Kansas is uh, in the Big 12 Conference. You're competing all the time against, you know, three. I mean, when they think about the powerhouses of, of the Big 12, obviously they're thinking about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and Texas. Um, you know, you see those guys a lot during the year. You see them at conference. And, you know, you being one of the highest-ranked collegiate players in the country, you see them at the, the amateur events in the summer. Now, these are the traditional powerhouses that are at the top of everyone's preseason list and – um, you know, basically every team in the country is going to be outside of that, the limelight that, that they're in year after year. But you guys are right there. I mean, you know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are 1-2. Texas is 13. You're 14. I mean, you guys, you're you're right there. I don't know if this has been spoken about, but do you guys like the role of, I mean, would you call yourself a sleeper team within the conference? Or do you look at yourselves as, hey, we're right there with them. We just need to, you know, basically have a chance to compete against them in at regionals or or at conference or at the national championship that's a tough question that's not really a question the team has talked about um but you know we do see them at the match play in the fall yeah. uh, the big 12 match play and we do see them um a little bit throughout the season and then we'll get you know one final chance before regionals and nationals to see them at um big 12 stroke play and I think the role that we feel, um, and this is just me speaking, but we obviously know who the powerhouses are that you just mentioned. Um, but I feel like we don't really shy away from wanting to beat them. Um, I mean, there, there's teams across the country, even in the SEC or, um, Oh yeah. There's a, Arizona a, States a and the, yeah, there, there, there's all of them. Yeah. Right. And they still want to beat Oklahoma and they still want to beat Oklahoma state. They want to beat Texas. And I think every team just, you know, rolls their five guys out there and um, the coaches have the trust in them. And um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that we love the idea of being the sleeper team um, because I think what we've done in the fall and, you know, kind of testing ourselves at the prestige uh, right away in the spring, uh, we were able to prove that, we, you know, we think we, we can belong and yeah. play with these teams. Um, so, you know, we'll see how the rest of the spring goes and, um, you know, but we definitely have faith in each other and kind of looking forward to what we have to come. I always like throwing something into an episode that, uh, you know, gives the listener, <clears throat> excuse me, I always like throwing something in an episode that gives the listener, um, you know, a nice takeaway and maybe something they could incorporate into their game but this time uh, it's going to be a little bit different um i don't think i've had a situation other than really the the cooties at texas where 
uh, two brothers are playing college golf at the same time. I would have to go back, but I'm pretty sure that's the only example I can think of. But your younger brother, Jake, is playing at Creighton. So we got a Blue Jay and a Jayhawk in the family. I don't know how the, how you guys pulled that off, but, um, yeah, that's just how it happened. And I don't think you guys have competed against each other. So I'm guessing that your parents are kind of racking up the, the frequent flyer miles to go go to attend these tournaments. Um, I'm sure that you and Jake speak all the time. I know that you're keeping an eye on his game and his results and vice versa. But you would imagine that a younger sibling is always trying to chase the older sibling to be as good as you know the older brother, older sister. What kind of advice do you give to him? Um, obviously, everyone progresses at their own pace. So there's going to be junior golfers out there or other players in a similar situation where the younger siblings trying to compete with the older sibling success and the timetables are different. Um, you know, what are some of the things you talk to Jake about as he's kind of progressing at Creighton? Yeah, well, honestly, I wish he would take more advice, Okay, <laughs> but, it, but it doesn't seem to doesn't... <laughs> All right, listen, I'm trying to set you up in a nice way to talk nicely about him, not, you know, dump all, I mean, come on now, let's, 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 let's lock in here. Let me, let me snap the readers together. It's time to go to work here. I think our main conversations that we have together about golf is basic. It's basic damage control um, on the golf course. And we've all seen the young, immature college golfer. Um, I've been there where you rack up two doubles per round or you throw a triple bogey on the scorecard when, you know, it could have been an easy bogey. Um, We've had a lot of those conversations um, with how do we manage this and how do we manage that? Um, You know, another thing that we talk about um, because I'm in the middle of it and trying to get better at it is daily routines, um, practice round routines, you know, pre round routines. uh, What's that look like for me? And, I'm trying to take knowledge from people and then I give a lot of it back to Jake and want Jake and, you know, some of our closest friends to do the same thing. And, um, I think it's become so important in our game. Um, I mean, you see the guys working out prior to the rounds, um, or trying to get their bodies moving. You see some of the drills that they're doing on the putting green before the rounds. Um, it almost seems if you can find those routines um, and just, you know, make them part of your warm up and um, part of just who you are as a golfer, um, I think it can result in better play. So yeah, no, I whenever I see you on a putting green, there's always a drill set up. There's always something two tees. You're trying to hit it through. You know, got the gate drill going, and yeah, that that's I I will say that whenever I see you on the putting green, you're always working on something. Well. I probably could work on more, but, um, I do have, I do have a couple drills. I love the perfect putter. Um, I think it's great for speed prior to an event. Um, and then obviously to make it with the perfect putter, it depends how you set it up, but I always pick the high line and just try and, um, drip the ball into the hole. Um, and I, I work on speed that way and I work on left to riders and right to lefters and just kind of get the feel of, um, the speed of the greens and kind of see the lines prior to the event starting. Um, so I've enjoyed doing that. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. There's all sorts of drills. You got to find what's right for you. And 
Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions. You're obviously a, a unique, um, you know, collegiate golfer that has had the opportunity to play a couple of corn ferry tour events. You also got uh, a, an exemption, a sponsor's exemption to the latest John Deere Classic. It's unlikely that an amateur is going to win a professional event. I think the last amateur to win on the PGA Tour was Phil. So it was it was a 91. So this is a long time ago. What is the biggest thing that you have gotten out of playing in these professional events? I know you made a cut uh, at the Pinnacle on the on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, you know, is it just getting those butterflies out of the way so that the next time you play in one of those events, perhaps as a professional, you, you've been there, done that. What is the biggest thing that you've gotten out of those three starts? You know, leading up to it, it it's very exciting. Um, you almost you don't want to put too much effort into the week uh, leading up to Thursday. Um, and that's going to depend on, you know, what your routine's like. And But from what I've taken the most is the guys at that level are in the same exact golf shots that a lot of us amateur and collegiate golfers are hitting. Um, I played with a guy, Chase Wright, uh, Chase Wright, um, and he hit all draws. He did not try and fade the ball once. He took uh, the right side of the golf course out of play and stuck to his game. Um, this summer, um, playing in the John Deere, I played with Roger Sloan. And very similar thing. Um, he just knows his game so well. He he hits very basic golf shots. Um, obviously, very, very good golf shots. Um but they just seem to know their game so well and they play to their strengths so well um, that that's why they're out on the PJ tour and the cord Ferry tour is they understand and just trust themselves. And what you're saying, at least from what I'm taking from that is the average amateur or collegiate player that gets an exemption into the PJ tour event may think that, Oh my gosh, I have to be able to hit every single shot, make every single putt, drive it past everyone and do everything because they're the best in the world. When perhaps it's not so much that it's just owning your game, knowing what works and being diligent and sticking to that. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, there's obviously flashy things that they do and there's tougher shots that they can pull off. But I, I can promise you that the three events that I've played in, um, that they have played to their strengths and they have um, totally, you know, t taken the bad holes and just controlled the damage of when they get in a tough spot. And it's a hard situation to be in. It's a hard thing to learn. Um, but once you can do that and learn that, um, it, it seems to create better scores. Yeah. So. No, it, ma it makes sense. It's just, it's, it's hard to kind of, you know, when I see amateurs and collegiate players getting exemptions into pro events, I, I'm almost thinking that, I mean, yes, got her up just from Oklahoma, just at a top 10 in Puerto Rico. But I think the main thing is to learn as much as you can. That way next time you're not completely freaked out and seeing a PGA tour player on the range next to you or, you know, see, seeing things like that where it's, it becomes more normal and you can go back to the basics and just stick with what brought you there. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think each, each event I've played in, I've learned, I've taken something from it and, you know, hopefully there's an event in the near future where I'm able to test it again. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, super cool experiences and grateful for the, the three opportunities I've had. Now, this is just a random one I'm just curious about. You know, we're really in the early years of the NIL era, um, you know, amateurs being able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. I see a lot of junior golfers, uh, obviously, through my travels and, you know, obviously collegiate players. And I'm starting to see <laughs> more and more agents and galleries and, you know, representatives from major club companies in the galleries. They're not too far from the practice range. And I know that there's kind of that culture there where the juniors, you know, and, and, you know, they want to make sure that they are getting noticed and they want to stand out to a, to an agent or to a, um, you know, to a, a, a club manufacturer, a representative, you know, everyone wants the free hat and things like that. You know, you've, you've been around this long enough to know that, you know, you know, the culture, you know, what, what advice do you give to juniors that are starting to get, kind of playing in the bigger events and they're going to be dealing with more of those, I guess you could call them outside distractions, truthfully. Um, you know, what advice do you have for juniors that think they need that in their, I guess, in their life at this point? Um, yeah. I mean, it is part of our game now. It's part of the whole NIL thing is very interesting. Um, the, the way I've taken NIL is, um, you know, money aside, let's, let's try and learn. Um, and let's try and create relationships now that I can benefit towards in the future. Um, whether that means get in front of the, the right strength coach, um, connect with a financial advisor that, um, is able to teach me some of the things maybe he's done with a professional athlete or a professional golfer, um, club manufacturing wise, um, I don't think you should be afraid to test equipment. Um, I've played Titleist. I've played a little bit of TaylorMade and now I play Callaway. Um, and don't be afraid to, you know, start a relationship with, you know, a Callaway rep on the range. Um, you know, that's their job is to communicate and to learn who people are. That's why they're there. Um, and they're happy to, let you test equipment for the most part at least from my experiences and you know i think you should take advantage of that you know just because you play all titleists now um there's really no reason to as a 15 year old to lock into titleists and say i'm gonna play titleists the rest of my life um equipment changes and things like that happen and i think to start a relationship is um, it's one of the first things you need to do to be able to be happy with the clubs you're going to play. Well, Luke, I know you're, uh, I'll let you get back to uh, the, the spring break party that is uh, Norfolk, Nebraska. And yeah. uh, I know, I know use this time to get rested up because uh, again, you're going to be jumping into a busy spring and that means regionals and that means nationals. And then, and then everything else that comes along with being a collegiate golfer. So uh, glad we got to do this. Um, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Um, if there's ever anything you need from me, you got my number and I'm happy to help you. So unless you're in a duck, unless you're in a duck blind and then there's no chance I'll reach you. <laughs> no, you can reach me. And there you have it. Special thanks to Luke Kluver for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Go check out that website for new merch and new information on where I'll be this summer. We'll see you next time.
here at the back of the range. <laughs>